And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Well, today is the fourth Sunday in Lent, which is often called Laetare Sunday from the Latin word for rejoice, and that comes from the introit we just sang as we were sensing the altar, a text that's based on Isaiah 66 and Psalm 122. So let's go ahead and read that again. It is in your bulletin um, if, you, if you had not seen that already, um, the introit text. We, we, we sang, Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be ye glad for her, all ye that delight in her. Exult and sing for joy with her, all ye that in sadness mourn for her, that ye may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations. I was glad when they said unto me, We will go into the house of the Lord. And so that passage from Isaiah um, towards the end of the book, where Isaiah is prophesying that that exile that destruction of the temple in Jerusalem is going to end. The Lord will bring you back. You will return. And we know from our uh, New Testament that this is fulfilled in the person and work of Christ um, that we're building up to as we get towards Easter. Well, the other traditional name for this, this Sunday, which is less common in our circles, but much more common among the high churchmen of, uh, in England of yesteryear, is Dominica Refectionis, the Sunday of refreshment. And that's based on our gospel passage where Jesus refreshes the multitudes with a miraculous meal. And in fact, if you plug in uh, that Latin into Google Translate, it kicks out Sunday meals. (laughs) Uh, So it's Sunday dinner, I guess. So on this, our mid-Lent Sunday, we take a little respite from all of our Lenten labors. And the traditions that get associated with Latari Sunday point this out, this rest, they points out this respite to us. So that includes the use of our rose vestments today, first time in this parish, as, as, I, as I believe. Uh, thank you, Vestry, for, uh, for, for that, and for Alden for having a really good deal on these. That was, that was amazing. <laughs> they, they really did. We got the, um, the, uh, the rose vestments, the, the black ones for Requiems and Good Friday, and then the, uh, the, the ivory trimmed with Marian blue for our two uh, 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 um, Feasts of Our Lady. Um, for a ridiculously good price. It was, it was wonderful. So um, that's part of our Latare celebrations, these rose vestments. We, of course, do the same thing in Advent, about halfway through at Gaudate Sunday. And then um, in various places, they will eat different kinds of cake. It kind of varies from region to region on Latare Sunday, kind of um, breaking the fast just a little bit. Um, next year, I promise, we'll make sure to have some, uh, some good Texas cakes. Someone said, hey, we had, we had cake donuts. That's about right for Texas. So uh, <laughs> maybe that is the case. Um, bringing back flowers on the altar. Um, I, I apologize to the altar guild for not to tell them, hey, bring some roses. So, uh, because usually in Lent, we don't have any flowers. And then many parishes wouldn't use an organ during Lent. Um, they would just go a cappella for Lent. <laughs> yeah, we did kind of as, as uh, Francis was on vacation. <laughs> and so the organ comes back for Lent. That's true. Um, but but even, even with us, you, did, you might have noticed that our um, chanting was a little bit more complex um, today. We, we kind of put off that um, austere Merbeck setting and brought in something a little bit more polyphonic. Uh, to, to, all of these things are to point out we're taking a little break from our Lenten disciplines. 
And then um, the uh, back in the day when you would have a lot of domestic serv servants, um, they would give the servants off on this Sunday. And so they would usually go home and visit their parents, and which gave it yet another term for this day, Mothering Sunday. Uh, so this is Mothering Sunday also. Um, be sure to call your mothers, those of you that still have them, uh, because you might not have them forever. So well, our propers, our readings for the day also reflect this respite as they shift the focus from uh, the struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil to focusing on receiving the joyful, refreshing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see this first in our collect. In our collect, we prayed, Grant, we beseech thee, almighty God, that we who for our evil deeds do worthily deserve to be punished by the comfort of thy grace may be mercifully may mercifully be relieved through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this shift of focus doesn't let us forget that we're in a season of repentance. And indeed, we still acknowledge our sins and the fact that we deserve God's punishment, but we throw ourselves on God's mercy, trusting that he will relieve us by his grace, not presumptuously, but, but assured by the promises we find in his word. Well, in our epistle reading from Galatians 4, we see another illustration of this assurance by contrasting the bondage that comes from being under the law with the freedom that comes from being heirs of God's grace. St. Paul reminds the Galatians of Abraham's two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was the son of Hagar, the Egyptian slave. Isaac was the son of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Ishmael is indeed a son of Abraham. He actually inherits if you get to the end of the book. But he's only a son according to the flesh. Isaac, on the other hand, was the son of promise, the son of the covenant, through whom God had promised to carry out his long-term plan of redemption, that plan that we see unfolding as we read the rest of the Old Testament. So then St. Paul writes in verse 24, Galatians 4.24, found on page 131, in our prayer book, he writes this. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem from above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And he says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. And do you see how this kind of points to the same thing we, we, we sang in our intro yet? Um, Jerusalem from above. Children being children of Jerusalem. She's barren, but she's going to have children, and that's me and you, right? And did you catch the rejoice theme in this passage? Without the Messiah, the law crushes us under its holiness. It cannot give life. It cannot give freedom. Without the Messiah, we cannot truly be God's children. We can only be his servants. We can submit, but we cannot enjoy fellowship with God. We cannot ultimately have rejoicing or refreshment. And had it not been for the promise of the Messiah that's woven throughout the law, throughout the whole Old Testament, really, 
Passages like the one St. Paul quotes from Isaiah 54 would be meaningless. Though God's law crushes us with its absolute holiness, God always gave it with hope. And in fact, we're told that it is by hope in the promises of the Messiah that the Old Testament saints were saved. Well, as for us, we have this hope realized. We have the joy and respite of the Messiah. We have tasted the grace that comes from from him fulfilling the law, from him paying the penalties, redeeming us from its consequences, and thereby enabling us to keep the law with joy. We still do have the law, but our relationship with it is totally changed. We, 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 we are, it is applied to us in a completely different way. And this is a significant difference between being slaves and being sons. 19th century Oxford father Melville Scott writes this, Christian service is the service of sons, which is more than that of slaves. The son submits his will to his father, the slave only his outward conduct to his master. The son serves not for favor, but as one in favor, not for wages, but as a debtor to infinite love. While the thought of the crown before him gives him joy, his true motive is the cross behind him. That such service brings refreshment is the teaching of our church on Refreshment Sunday. In our gospel, we have St. John's account of the feeding of the 5,000 from the sixth chapter of John's gospel. And this story is, of course, very familiar to us. It's actually one of the only, it's the only story that shows up twice in our Sunday lectionary. It's also one of the few miracles that is told in all four Gospels. And it, too, illustrates the refreshing joy that is offered by Christ. So from the other Gospels, we get some details to, uh, to fill in and kind of put together for the, for the full picture. Uh, the other Gospels, we see that the miracle happens at night in a desolate place. The people are far away from anywhere to buy food, and there's nothing worth foraging. There's a lot of grass, but you can't eat grass. The disciples, noting the late hour, they told Jesus to dismiss them so they could go somewhere to eat. But we're also told that they were in danger of fainting, of hunger, if Jesus did send them away. They might die. They've been fasting. So again, we see the Lord showing his grace upon them, giving them physical refreshment, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. John 6, 5, and that's also page 131 in the prayer book. John 6, 5, we read this. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? John Henry Blunt, another one of those 19th century Oxford fathers, he did a little math for us in his commentary on the passage. He notes that 200 denarii, the equivalent of what a laborer would earn in about seven months, that would buy quite a lot of bread. 
And if he converted it to then English currency, it would provide each person in a crowd of 5,000 about three ounces, which is roughly what you would have as a dinner roll or a biscuit. So it's not quite a meal, but it's a satisfying accompaniment to a full meal. However, the text tells us there were 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So if we conservatively estimate that there would also be 5,000 women and children, and probably that's a low estimate, there's probably a lot more than that, um, then that would leave each person with only an ounce and a half of bread, barely more than a mouthful. So truly, this presented a logistical problem. It was a nightmare. Even the U.S. Army cannot feed 10,000 people on a moment's notice without significant planning. And our army is pretty good at feeding a lot of people. Yet, our Lord does so. St. Augustine points out that God designed seeds to naturally multiply. So this is the kind of miracle that God does all the time albeit not usually this obviously or this quickly. And actually, this is a bit of an aside. Um, because of increasing technology on production of, of bread especially, but, but, but food, we have almost eliminated world hunger to the point where we had to redefine what it means to be hungry. Once upon a time, hunger meant you were in danger of, of starving. Now hunger means you're not getting fed three times a day because the Lord has designed things to multiply. So obviously that's not the typical way that the Lord multiplies grain though, right? <laughs> uh, we, we don't typically see this, but he does do this all the time. The Lord works with what he already created because creation itself is a miracle. St. Augustine writes, those five loaves were like seeds, not indeed committed to the earth, but multiplied by him who made the earth. The truth is, we're similarly in the wilderness when left to our own devices. We are spiritually starving without our Lord's intervention, even though he has designed creation to point us to himself. The psalmist observed, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. St. Paul writes, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Creation points us to Jesus. Nevertheless, we need that gift of grace if we're going to come to Christ. Nobody comes because he's smarter or wiser or better than his neighbor. No, it's all the grace of the Lord drawing us to himself. And often, we must first be made to realize our hunger. That's one of the reasons why we fast in Lent. We use our physical hunger to show us our spiritual hunger, our hunger for the Spirit of Christ. Again, Melville Scott writes, our Lord drew out the faith, let's try that again. Our Lord drew out faith from a sense of need in the disciples and also raised the faith and expectation of the multitudes by his command, make the men sit down. See the 5,000 sitting, waiting. To wait upon Christ is the secret of sanctification. Blessed are all they that wait for him. They shall never go away empty from sermon, prayer, or sacrament. Well, back in verse 4, 
St. John tells us that, that this miracle happened around the time of the Passover. The Venerable Bede reminds us that this is a year before our Lord's Passion and Crucifixion. Whenever you see Passover in the Bible, you should look for ways that the Passover points to the greater exodus when the Lord himself became our Passover lamb. Theologians have often found this passage to be a foreshadowing of the sacrament of Holy Communion. After all, when Jesus had given thanks, that's what it says in the text, before the miracle, the Greek word used by St. John is eucharistisesas. And that's even more, that, you know, that, that hint towards the Eucharist. It's the same root word. I, I, in, in my second semester of Greek, and I spent about an hour trying to parse that thing the right way. <laughs> I should have known that, actually. It was, uh, there you go. Anyway. <laughs> second semester is no fun, but they tell me third semester is great. <laughs> yeah, all the seminarians say amen. Uh, th this is even more evident, though, this connection to the Passover, this connection to the Eucharist, in light of what happens later on in the chapter when Jesus tells the people that he is the bread of life. So you fast forward to, to verse 51. That's not in your prayer book, but it is in your Bible. We read, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And here we have our spiritual refreshment. Our catechism tells us that the benefits of partaking in the Lord's Supper are, quote, the strengthening and refreshing of our souls by the body and blood of Christ, as our bodies are by the bread and wine. When we hunger for Jesus... He feeds us with himself, giving us life, strength, and spiritual refreshment. The joy from encountering our Lord in word and sacrament gives us the boost we need in Lent, but also that boost we need in all of our lives. The thing about hunger is that it presupposes there's food somewhere. The same is true for spiritual hunger. So by all means... Uh, go enjoy some roses. They might have some at H-E-B, I don't know. Next year they'll be on the altar. Enjoy that, that rose incense we've been wafting about today. Maybe get a slice of cake. Maybe call your mother. Get these breathers from the rigors of Lent. But more importantly, Refresh yourself in the joy of the Lord by coming to his table, by feasting on his word, by remembering what it is to be a son rather than a slave, by remembering the relief and comfort of God's grace on this our Sunday of rejoicing, our Sunday of refreshment. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven.